Well, good morning. Glad to have you this morning. Uh, for those that may not know, my name is Brian Roberts, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, as Leah was saying earlier, if this is your first Sunday worshiping with us, I want to extend a special welcome to you. Very glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, aside from the uh, the gift that we have out in the lobby for you, some things that let you know a little bit about our church and uh, help you kind of connect a little bit as much as you would like. Uh, I'd like to meet you personally. So if you have a little bit of time, maybe a little of, of, of patience this morning, I'll be up here in the front part of the worship area and worship center and I'd love to meet you uh, personally just to kind of extend my own uh, greetings and to meet you face to face and connect a face to a name. That'd be good. But we're in the middle of a, ser- a teaching series here in the summer where we're going through the book of First Thessalonians. We're doing a few things over the summer here. We're trying to read through First Thessalonians one time in its entirety every week. So it, uh, hopefully you've been able to do that and just to kind of read through it and let the scriptures kind of wash over you and teach you uh, whatever the Lord may be leaning, leading you into. So uh, again, just continue to read First Thessalonians, all five chapters in one setting. Uh, once a week, and then you have questions in your worship f- folder that will help you kind of uh, kind of discuss them or kind of kind of dive into a little bit of a study, if you were. The questions are based on one chapter at a time. So this week's co- study questions should just be based on, on chapter 3, which is where we're studying this morning. But hopefully those have been encouraging to you, and I want to continue to encourage us to to read over First Thessalonians, again, in one sitting, all five chapters in one sitting, to kind of get the overview of it and just to kind of let the, the Word just kind of uh, seep into our hearts, as it were, and it's be a good thing. But each week we're kind of taking one chapter at a time and diving deeper into that chapter and what we may understand about how our church, how our community, how our, our faith community here at Crossroads can be shaped by the good news of Jesus, how the gospel, the good news of Jesus can shape and give uh, a, a forming of who we are as a collective community. We've been looking over the last couple of weeks, and this morning we're going to zero in onto chapter 3. And before we dive into chapter 3 too much, I want to kind of give us a reminder of what Paul's uh, perspective of the Thessalonians are. That Paul has a, a real care. If you read through Thessalonians, especially the first couple of chapters here, you get the sense that, that the Thessalonians are really his friends. He really loves them genuinely. He has a care for them. He really is, in, is intrigued about who they are and about what they're doing about their life and about what is happening in their life. He has, he, there's a friendship, there's a bond that is connected between he and the Thessalonians. And we've recognized that as apprentices to Jesus, that kind of love for one another that we see in Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians, that that kind of love for each other is the kind of love that we're to be known for. That we're to be known for loving one another. That one of the marks, I could say it this way, one of the marks of apprenticeship to Jesus as we walk our life with Jesus, one of the marks is that we are known by the way in which we love one another. In particular, how we love other believers. How we care for the body of Christ. How we love each other with a genuine, compassionate concern and care for them. We are to be known for this. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, a marker of a healthy church or a healthy community that is shaped around the person, the teaching of Jesus, is that we would be known for the way in which we love each other, the way in which we care for one another. 
One of the markers of a, of a healthy church, a healthy community, is the individuals within that community have a genuine love for each other. But what does that look like? What does it mean? How do you know that you step into a church family? How do you know you step into a, a place where there's genuine care for one another? How do you know? How can you get a sense and you smell the air around that there's a genuine love for each other here? What does it look like practically? And just to give you a heads up, this message in particular is going to be uber practical for you. There'll be a few things that you can take with you right away and to put into practice to become the kind of church, the kind of people, the kind of community that is shaped and formed by the person, the teaching, and the gospel of Jesus in a way in which we manifest love for one another. That we care for one another and we do it well. And what we see in Paul in his writings to the Thessalonians is an example of what that looks like. He sees the Thessalonians as brothers and sisters. He sees them as a family. New Christians, new believers, but he sees them as as being brought into a new family where we care for each other, where we love each other. He sees them not as some second-class citizen, not as just some immature, some person out there, but he sees them as brothers and sisters. And I want to suggest for you that one of the visions that captures our church's heart, one of the visions of a, of a life in the, in the family of God here at Crossroads, one of the visions is that we would be a place where we would see each other, not as just somebody who sits on that side of the room or that goes to that service or to this service, but as brothers and sisters, where we see each other as a part of a family, where we are intricately connected to one another and where we demonstrate genuine love for one another. A vision for a church family that is known for its love for one another. Well, with that vision in mind and that kind of understanding of Paul's heart for the Thessalonians, let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you, the almighty, everlasting, eternal one. We ask that you would teach us to be a place where love for each other just exudes from here where we are modeling our life after you and after the teachings of Paul, and that we would be an authentic expression of your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would lower our defenses this morning, wherever we may feel defensive a little. I pray that you would soften our hearts a little to hear what you would teach us and give us the obedience and courage to walk in step with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you could generally separate chapter 3 in two kind of general divisions. Uh, Verses 1 through 9 is division number 1, and then 10 through 13 is kind of division number 2. And I want to take a look at those kind of divisions in chapter 3 and what it may teach us about being a community that shows genuine love for each other. The first section of chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, could be titled Paul's Affectionate Care for the Thessalonians. Paul's Care for the Thessalonians. There were people that are trying to discredit Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. They had come over after Paul had left, and they'd come over and try to discredit all of what Paul was teaching them. He's trying to plant some seeds of doubt in the Thessalonians' heart to think that Paul never really cared for them, never really, really cared for them. He was only manipulating them out for money, trying to discredit in some way his message or the message of Jesus as king. They were discrediting him by saying in particular that when the going got tough and when trials came, when persecution came, Paul left you guys. He never cared about you. 
He never even thought twice about you. So plants in these seeds of doubt of, of Paul's care for them were, were kind of seeding into the people of Thessalonica. And Paul addresses it directly in this chapter in his letter, chapter 3. He says, I care deeply for you. Don't be mistaken. I cared deeply for you. Even in my absence, my heart was always with you. My thoughts were always drawn to you. I didn't stop caring for you just because my physical presence wasn't there. I cared deeply for you. And one of the things we see in a Jesus-shaped church or community founded on and, and bound up on Christ is you see people who deeply care for each other. Deeply care. Where you see a community where each one of us takes up the call to lovingly care for one another in the family. Where we recognize that each one of us are brothers and sisters in this family of God and we care for each other. We don't allow, we don't delegate the care for other people to the select few. It's not just the pastoral staff's responsibility or the the church body or the church staff or the elders' responsibility to care and to love and to demonstrate that kind of care. But for each one of us recognize the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the family. We take up the call to have care and affectionate love for one another. Where the climate around the church is one where we def- deeply love one another and we care for each other. This is a, a vision of a church that has this a life that is shaped by Jesus. And again, that sounds really wonderful, sounds really great, but what does it mean? Practically, what does it mean to be a church where each one of us, whether you have a title or no title, takes up a concern and has care and love for each other? Well, let's take a look at Paul's care for the Thessalonians and maybe what we can learn for ourselves. The first thing I want you to notice is his concern for them. Notice his concern for them. Verses 1 and 2, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Paul's concern for the Thessalonians is that when they're facing trials, when they're facing persecution, that they may feel find themselves wandering from their faith. They may find themselves believing and and following ways that are contrary to the ways of God. So his concern was their maturity in faith. His concern was that they would continue to persevere and to walk with Christ no matter what the temptations or the trials or the persecution may come their way. He knows that trials and persecution are going to come. And he also knows that they can go either way, that those trials and persecution can either drive us to dependence on Christ or it can drive us and push us away from Christ. And Paul's concern is when you face trials and persecutions of whatever kind is that they would remain faithful and persevere and depend on Christ. That they would grow to be mature in their faith in Christ. Paul's concern is that they would grow and they wouldn't be unsettled by the trials and the various things that are coming their way. His concern was their maturity in Christ. One of the ways in which we demonstrate that a love for one another is a concern for the spiritual maturity of each other. That we would each remain faithful, unsettled by the trials and the persecutions that may come our way. That we would remain faithful to the call of God on our life. One of the ways in which you can demonstrate a genuine affectionate care for the other brothers and sisters in our church family is when we have a concern for their spiritual development. A concern for their spiritual maturity. Paul has a concern for them. Notice that. 
But notice, secondly, his concern prompts them to some sacrifice for their benefit. His concern for their maturity leads him to sacrifice for their benefit. He said, when we couldn't stand it any longer, we're going to stay by ourselves in Athens, a foreign city ourselves, and we're going to send Timothy, our co-worker, our co-laborer. We're going to send my close friend to be with you. We thought it best, he said, to be left by ourselves so that you could have Timothy. We can't go ourselves. We can't make it there for one reason or another. He kind of attributes it to Satan's work in the life. He says, I can't go, but I'm going to be left alone, and I'll send Timothy ahead of me. His affectionate care, in other words, his love for his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica wasn't mere sentiment. It wasn't just wishful thinking. It wasn't just a good-hearted feeling towards him, but it led him to sacrificially give of himself. And to be left alone, he put their needs, in other words, above his own comfort and above his own needs. It'd be real easy for him to say, listen, we're facing the same persecution. We're facing even worse persecution. We're in Athens in a place that is ungodly, in a place that is hard for for us to be Christians. And we have a a close companion, Timothy, who's encouraging us. And so we need him. And while it would be nice for us to send him to you, we need him for us. But Paul's concern for the health and the maturity of the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians, he sends Timothy. He thinks it's best for him to be alone, and he sends Timothy. He puts the, the needs of the Thessalonians above his own comfort and his own needs. He sacrifices for the maturity and the well-being of his brothers and sisters. Friends, if you want to demonstrate genuine love and care for brothers and sisters, it's sometimes it will lead you to sacrificial service for their benefit at the cost of your own. It will come at times when you're going to need to put their needs above your own comforts and above your own needs, your own desires. Paul is doing exactly what he instructs the church to do, not only in Thessalonians, but in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Genuine, affectionate care, love for brothers and sisters, sometimes driven by a concern for their maturity and faith, sometimes will lead you to sacrificial service, where you place the needs of them above your own. Sometimes you'll need to give of your time to go visit someone who's going through a, str- a, tr- a struggle or a trial. You'll need to give of your time. You'll have to make some room in your schedule to sit down in front of someone to let them know that they are not alone in whatever they're going through. You're going to need to make room and say no to something so that you can say yes to a brother or sister who is struggling and you need to let them know that you care. Some of us are going to need to make room in our schedule to serve in our children's ministry area, to give parents an ease of mind when they come to church that there are people that are caring for their kids. And you're going to need to get up earlier and come to the first service or come to the first service and stay for the second service so that you can care and give of your time to care for the young people in our church. Because the concern for the maturity of one another, for the spiritual maturity of brothers and sisters, drives us at times for sacrificial service to place their needs above our needs. Because that's what love does. That's what it does. But I also want us to notice something else about loving other believers and Paul's love for the Thessalonians. Because I want you to notice Paul's investment in the life of other people. Genuine love and care and, uh, and concern to see their maturity, there's an investment 
in the life of another person. A spiritual investment in the life of someone else. Paul understands that to be an apprentice of Jesus means that there will be people that are younger in the faith around you. There are people who are just starting their journey with Jesus around you. And it's our responsibility as apprentices to Jesus to develop a relationship with them, to share our life with them, to see them to grow into maturity, to invest our lives in in the life of someone who is spiritually younger than us. We just need to hear this. Those of us that are older in the faith, that have been walking with Jesus for some time, we just need to know this. We need to find someone who is younger in the faith than us that we can invest our life in the spiritual life of someone else. That is what it means for us to care and to love one another, for us to have an affection for one another, that we invest ourselves in the spiritual life of someone else. One of the reasons, frankly, one of the reasons why Paul was able to encourage as many churches as he was able to encourage and to encourage the young believers in Thessalonica to keep them faithful to the cause of Christ, to keep them walking in the face of trials and persecutions. One of the reasons that he was able to do that is because he had a deep-seated commitment to invest in the lives of those younger than him. Deeply seated was this commitment to invest in the lives of those who were younger than him, both chronologically younger and spiritually younger. And part of our affectionate care, part of our deep love for brothers and sisters, to be known by love, Part of what that means is that we are people who invest in the spiritual life of those around us. Who invest in their life. And anyone who has any slight experience in walking alongside someone, spiritually speaking, to walk alongside them, to mentor them, to talk with them, you know that the road of blessing goes both ways. You know that sometimes you sit down with someone to have a conversation with where they're at spiritually and you begin to try and mold them and, and walk alongside them to teach them some things. And you know that the road of blessing goes both ways. Goes both ways. Paul has an investment in the lives of those around him. Listen to verses eight, or sorry, verse 7 and 8 in Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you. Because of your faith. For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord. The road of blessing. When you invest your life spiritually speaking. When you invest your life in the life of another person. The road of blessing goes both ways. Paul is encouraged in his own life. Because he hears about the faithfulness of the Thessalonians. The road of blessing. The road of encouragement. The road of walking this life. Goes both ways. And when you invest your life into another's life for their spiritual growth, for their maturity, then you have a front row seat to watch the Holy Spirit move and shape and mature someone. And it will bring joy and celebration. Words can't even describe the kind of joy that it brings. But it will encourage your own soul. It's one of the reasons, if I could speak just autobiographically for a second, it's one of the reasons why I love going on mission trips. Not because I've never been on one, but because I love walking alongside people and watching the Lord move in their life. And that has a a reciprocal effect on my own soul. That I'm encouraged just as much as they are. It's one of the reasons why I facilitate formational courses and formational retreats on a regular basis. Not because I need it for me personally while I do, but it's because I love watching people and for the Word of God to come alive in people's souls and their life. And it has a, an encouraging part for me too. 
So here's a very simple, practical takeaway for you this morning. Be someone who spiritually invests in the lives of those around you. Be someone who spiritually invests in the lives of other believers around you. Be someone who prioritizes investing in them. And just to help you with that, let me play a little thought game with you for a second. One of the most common reasons I hear for people stopping being involved in one thing or another, one of the most common things I hear, whether it's a life group or even stopping coming to church altogether, one of the most common things I hear is that, well, they're not getting something out of it. They're not learning anything any longer, so they stop doing it. I mean, they spiritualize it, right? Well, I'm not being fed, so I'll go to a place where I'm being fed. But let me just play a thought game for a second. Imagine the same person, Imagine the same person, the difference that it would make when they, instead of coming to the life group or church or some other mission trip or some other thing, not primarily asking, what am I going to get out of this, but replacing that question with, how can I help a younger believer in their life to mature in Christ? Imagine the difference that would come if people started coming to your life group or coming to a mission trip, or coming to church in general, and they've replaced the primary question with, what am I going to get out of this, with where can I encourage a younger believer to, to bring their, their faith to maturity through trials and, persever- and persecution that they may remain faithful to God? Can you imagine the difference it would make in the life of someone, in the life of a, a life group, or in the life of a course, or in the life of a church? where maturing believers stopped asking the question primarily, am I being fed? But they start requesting or replacing that question with the primary question, how can I invest my life in the life of a spiritually younger person in me? Can you see the difference? Now let me have one little caveat here, because I can hear all the rumblings in your brain. I've got superpowers, I can do it. Okay? And there, yes, I'm not saying that there's not a place for you to be poured into. I'm not saying that there is a time for you to be equipped and to be taught. And, and I'm not saying that, it's, that, it is, uh, that you should not be in a place where you're serving and you're not the one in charge. All those things are really good. It is good for you to not always be the teacher, to you to allow someone to teach you. It's good for me to not always be the one in charge, but to put myself in a serving spot to learn from other people. It's good for all of us. Absolutely, I 100% agree with that. 100%. But you will find that as you invest your life, spiritually speaking, invest your life in the life of another, then not only would you have a front row seat to watch the Holy Spirit move in their life, but you will experience joy and you will experience encouragement that words fail to express, but it is worth every effort you can give. Every effort. And you might find your own spiritual life strengthened along the way. You just might find it that way. So if I could charge us with something or push a little, challenge us a little bit, invest your life spiritually in the life of someone spiritually younger than you. To enable them to walk through trials and persecution when they come because they will. When doubt seeps into their mind, invest your life into someone who's spiritually younger than you that they may persevere and be mature in Christ. Look around your sphere of influence. And I bet for about 99% of us, 99.9% of us, you could find someone who is spiritually younger than you. Maybe not chronologically younger for some of us, 
but you'll find someone who's spiritually younger than you, who needs someone to invest in them, needs someone to encourage them, to walk alongside them, to let them know that you're going to face doubt and trials and persecution, but they need the strength of a caring community, the strength of a church family who deeply demonstrates God's love for them to help them persevere through those times. I bet you can find someone who's spiritually younger than you. You might find them in your life group. You might find it helpful to have these discussion questions and invite them to coffee and go out and spend an hour a week with them or or whatever it is. Or you might find it it helpful for you to serve in our children or our youth areas to find someone who is spiritually younger than you that you can invest into their lives, spiritually speaking. And again, I know all of your excuses. Maybe not all of them, but I know some of them. I know some of you are thinking, I'm not ready for that. I'm not mature myself. I don't know where those Bible verses are. I don't know where those things, I can't quote those things. I'm not a leader. I don't do those things. I mean, I need to grow myself first. So let me deal with me first, and then maybe in 30 years I'll deal with somebody else, right? Let me just gently push you a little. Not to get you off the hook. Not to just kind of say, well, it's no big deal. But let me remind you the second part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 because Paul gives us another way of investing in the life of another believer that every one of us can do regardless of where you are on your spiritual map. Regardless of where you are, you can show God's unconditional, affectionate love for brothers and sisters. And sometimes this is overlooked because it seems so simple. It seems so simple. But that is that Paul has a persistence in his prayer for the Thessalonians. That each one of us can persistently pray for the spiritual maturity and health for a brother or sister. We can care and sacrificially serve and we can persistently pray for them, for their maturity, for their health, for their vibrancy, for them to be persevering through all the doubts and trials and temptations that come their way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. This second section, his persistent prayer. Listen to what it says. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. And then he prays this. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, Paul's affectionate care leads him to persistent prayer. Day and night, he says, we're praying for you. Day and night we're praying. In order to encourage the Thessalonians to remain faithful in the midst of their trials, in order for them to stay faithful and persevere through it, Paul sends Timothy. They needed someone to walk alongside them, so he sends Timothy. He writes them a letter to let them know and to remind them of all of God's truth. He invested in the lives, spiritually the lives of those around him, and he prayed day and night persistently for their maturity. Friends, there is power in a church body that will be unleashed when brothers and sisters commit to persistently pray for the spiritual health and the maturity of one another. 
When we have conversations, when we go out to coffee, when we serve, absolutely. But when we persistently pray for the spiritual health of a brother or sister. How you demonstrate God's love, affection, and care. How we are known for our love. How our apprenticeship to Jesus makes us people who are known for love. Is we learn to practice the discipline or the, the, the place of persistent prayer for the spiritual health and maturity of other people. That we just simply pray for that. And again, it's often overlooked because it seems very simple. But notice what Paul prays for in these short verses. He prays for three things for the Thessalonians. He prays first that their love would increase, would grow for, the, for other believers and everyone around. That their, that their love would increase. Secondly, he prays that they would live holy and blameless lives. That they will live holy and believe that their character and that their conduct would be consistent with the ways of the kingdom. That their behaviors would be shaped by holiness and by, by blamelessness. That they would live that kind of life. And thirdly, he prays that they would have assurance in the hope of Christ's return. That they would place their confidence that Jesus will one day return and set all things right. He prays these three things in the midst of trial and persecution that their love would increase that they would live holy and blameless lives, that their conduct would be holy and would be blameless, and thirdly, that they would place their confidence in the assurance of, the, of Christ's return. And those three things are three kind of themes you're going to see in the last part of Thessalonians. We'll get to them in the next couple of weeks. But before this morning, before this morning, I want to zero in on just the power of praying these three things for one another. Praying for these three things to be working in the lives of brothers and sisters in our church family and i told you this is going to get uber practical i told you you're going to have something right away that you can take with you so here it is how you invest your life in the spiritually speaking how you invest your life spiritually in the lives of those around you to encourage them to remain faithful to the ways of god when doubt seeps in when persecution seeps in when trials seep in when all those things go on it might be visiting somebody. It might be involved in a life group. It might be serving. Those are all true. But I'm going to suggest this morning that what we need to do is we need to persistently pray. We need to persistently pray. Your brothers and sisters here in the church, they need you to show up. They need encouragement. They need your face to face. They need you to go mow their yard if that's what is needed. They need you to take them to coffee and listen to their faith struggle. They need you to send a text message or send them a call or give them a call or write them a note or do something else to let them know that they're not alone. They need all those things for sure. The Thessalonians needed them. They needed Timothy to come. They needed the letter. They also needed prayer. And so your brothers and sisters in this church family, while they need the physical encouragement, while they need you to show up, while they need you to bring a meal if that is what is needed, they also need your persistent prayers persistent prayers because it is god who moves in us to will and act according to his good purpose it is the divine activity the holy spirit is going to move and our role is to be persistent in praying especially for our brothers and sisters within our church family so here's what we're going to do let's kind of close up the service here i'm going to give you a chance to pray for someone around you so here's what i want you to do I want you to look around the church 
body this morning, and I want you to find a face of someone. And maybe you know them, and maybe you don't know them. Maybe you know all of their trials and temptations and all the persecution that's going on in their life. Maybe you have zero information about who they are. You don't even know their name. But I'm going to ask you to silently pray for them this morning. I'm going to ask you, you don't have to get up. You don't have to walk over to them. You don't have to come to the kneeling rails. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to have you just sit in your chairs, and I want you to pray silently for someone in the church body today. To find someone with whom you kind of zero in on. You see their face, and you say, I'm going to pray for them in these moments. And what do you pray for? What do you pray for? Well, again, Paul gives us a good example that we might model after. You would pray that their love would increase. That they would love others well. That they would live holy and blameless lives. That their conduct would be consistent with the kingdom of God. And that they would hold steadfastly to the hope that is in Christ when he surely comes. That whatever they're doing, whatever they're going through, you lock eyes with someone this morning, you find some face this morning, and you pray persistently for them this morning for those three things. That their love would increase, that they would live holy and blameless lives, and that they would have a steadfast hope on the sure return of Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Keep that face in front of you this week. Again, you may know the person, you may not know the person, but keep that face, keep that name in front of you this week and pray persistently for them. As their name comes across your mind or as their face comes to mind, then you pray for them. And you pray for those three things. And perhaps as you are praying, you may be led by the Spirit of God to do something more practically, to send a text message, to call them, to show up to their house, bring them groceries, do something else. You may be inspired, you may be led by the Spirit of God to do something more. And I pray if if that happens, then you would just be courageously obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But it all begins with prayer. Our love for one another begins with persistent prayer. That we pray for those things. Find that face, find that name, get that person's face or their name etched in your mind for this week. And just pray for those three things this week. That their love would increase. That they would live holy and blameless lives. And that their hope would be steadfastly secured to the sure return of Christ where he makes all things new. That they may be mature. That they may be persistent. That they may persevere in their faith. All begins with prayer. May we be a family that is known by our love for one another and may we be a family that cares enough to sacrificially serve and pray deeply for one another find or play a little bit for a little quiet just to kind of find a few moments here while you pray over that person again you don't have to get up and move i mean if you want to you can but you don't have to just sit quietly in your chair and pray for that person Just see what the Lord does, how he may encourage you along the way.